Thank you for streaming this little homebrew podcast. Brewed Up chronicles the fermentation highs and lows of Tyler Sadler of the Valley and Lori Ann Gutierrez of South Central LA. We also discuss breweries, cats, tacos, other adult bevs, and and whatever whatever else comes to mind. This show is available to listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor.fm, and wherever else you like to listen. Now, here's the show. Welcome back, Brewed Up listeners. We took a tiny, teeny, tiny hiatus, but we could never leave you hanging too long. This week, we are joined by a highly respected SoCal-based home brewer to chat about all things German beer. John Silvertooth, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for letting us have you. (laughs) All right. So the first part of our show is a little home brewery update where we just kind of like keep each other updated on what's going on what's the status so what's yours john wait wait wait, wait. hold on before you start it's time for a so what do you have in your fermenter like what's what's on your schedule tell us what's happening in your home brewery for me right now, I just finished, uh, just packaged this Martzen, and um, I'm reusing that yeast in uh, 10 gallons of Schwartz beer that's fermenting in the fridge uh, right behind me here. Current. Classic, iconic move. Look at that. <laughs> that's so, you're so like already dialed in to like why we uh, have you here. It's great. <laughs> every year I do a trio or a quad of German beers, and because you're doing lagers, well, I'm German lagers. I do other German beers at other times. And with lagers, you need such a big slug of yeast to do it right that I like to just reuse yeast. And I really like a German-liked beer. It's a style I found in the BJC guidelines a few years ago. I hadn't really heard of it or seen it anywhere. But it's like a 3.5% beer with a characteristic, much like a Pilsner, uh, good flavor. It's a great lawnmower beer. You know, just have you drink mm. five of them and you don't even notice you had them because they're 3.5%. But they've got good flavor. And it acts as a yeast starter. So... Throw on a few packets of 3470, let it build up a colony, and then move forward into whatever you want to make. A Hellas, an Oktoberfest, a Schwarz beer, um, you know, whatever you feel like ramping up into. Just just go just go darker and bigger as you go along until you end up at Doppelbach or you decide you're done. <laughs> That's so cool. So the you said the liked beer you use, you brew it and use that as a yeast starter. But you're also, you know, just brewing it just to enjoy the beer that's so cool that's a good idea nice tip how about you tyler um so what about me gosh uh i've been doing a lot of test batches recently for lit brew but the last thing i brewed for personal home brew consumption was the coffee porter yeah. uh which i love and it's on tap now and it's super good and just one of my favorite beers to brew and i actually pressure fermented it so that was a little experiment and it came out great i would say the yeast character 
obviously it 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 was kind of a test to see if um a british ale yeast would still be as as expressive and no it's not it was super clean <laughs> but the coffee i used you know helped to get that kind of like um fruity um vanilla-y kind of flavor back so it still tastes really good but yeah fun experiment for sure well i um you came over we brewed a uh like a cali common with golden promise we're not sure what's going to happen and that's (laughs) in the fermenter right now and that is yeah that was fun my home brewery, I need to, I need to clean out some carb. I do need, I need to like organize it and clean it. I think before I do another brew. So stay tuned. All right. Yeah, there's always the two parts here. of brewing, right? It's like uh, actual brewing and then organizing and cleaning. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think I, I'm actually um, going to get rid of a meat and a cider that I probably should have dumped six months ago, a year ago, just. You know, when you hold on to something thinking it'll didn't do that. So yeah. <laughs> it's always hard to let those go. Not <laughs> everyone works out. <laughs> yeah. What's everyone drinking? I am drinking the Martzen that uh, I made prior to the short spear. How is it tasting? Is it, what do you think? Is this, uh, is it better than last year? Is it, the, is it the same? How many times have you brewed this, Martin? Actually? I've brewed this one probably half a dozen times over the years, but um, last year I made a Vienna lager. So I'm really liking this one. Uh, the the recipe is kind of dialed into where I want it, so now I just brew it and enjoy it. If I don't make the same lagers every year, I mix them up. And do you brew it in March and let it like a lager over the summer? Or... <laughs> it's like, not, nah. Uh, nah, it's not really... Uh, you know, uh, very hard. I mean, it just came out of the fermenter now, so clearly not not in March. Um, but sometimes I have. It just depends on when um, in my schedule it works out. I, I have a family and a lot of stuff going on. Um, president of the Long Beach Homebrewers, I'm running all those meetings and putting together presentations for them and such. And um, so I brew about once a month, maybe twice a month. I'm not one of those guys like like you mentioned Tom Fontes. He's brewing like every third day, it seems like. Um, uh, so for me, you know, I kind of have to pace out my year and just let my wife know, like, hey, this is the day I'm going to be outside brewing. I'm not, or now in my garage brewing now that I've moved the stuff inside. But just so the family knows, that's my brew day, you know. Don't plan other other events and the rest of the month you have me. Um, so I kind of do that every year, just put a schedule together and mark off days. Extra brew days get put in here and there, but in general, about once or twice a month. That's still pretty frequent. I mean, that's yeah, pretty much that's how nice. often I brew. And I don't have kids. <laughs> I just have a cat. She takes up all my time. No. <laughs> a couple of dogs. It's 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 pretty close. Oh, the, the animals don't talk back. That's the bonus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think me and Lori are drinking the same beer, yes. huh? Tyler's German Pilsner. Very good. Nice. It's a it's a rebrew with different hops. I think I'm gonna. Try all Hollertown Middle Fruit. That seems like that's the way to go with this style. Really so, and, yeah. And yeah. A lot of German beers in general. It's one of my favorites. Cool. I love that we're all drinking homebrewed German beer. That's amazing. Yes. And lagers at that. You know, some of the hardest, hardest beers to recreate. Um, so, John, okay. So, John Silvertooth. 
Where does that name come from? Can you please let us know? <laughs> What's the that origin? Name is Cherokee Indian. Uh, but what? my father was adopted, so he's random white mutt. Um, and my maternal side is mostly from Germany. So there's some, you know, pictures of me as a little kid and later hosen from my grandmother and stuff. And uh, so I think that's partially why I, I kind of gravitate towards the German beers. My my grand my maternal grandmother uh, actually migrated here after World War, you know, after the end of World War II. She uh, married an American GI and um, you know wanted to escape the whole mess in Germany. Um, didn't really want to be part of it while she was there, so she got out of Germany. And um, my like I said, my father was uh, adopted by uh, a gentleman of. Uh, Cherokee, Cherokee Indian descent. So I got a Cherokee Indian last name, which is a really cool last name. Uh, but there's no bloodline to go with it. It's literally just a name. <laughs> I'll take what I can get. It also sounds like a pirate too. <laughs> or a cavity. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or a dentist. Comically, <laughs> You know, if you wanted to find me, just Google John Silvertooth. You won't find another one. And that's not true. There actually is one. J-O-N. He lives in Texas, and he is a dentist. He leaned into his last name. I don't know the guy, oh, but uh, I've seen it. And I'm like, oh, nope, that's not me. <laughs> I totally Googled you today. No lie. <laughs> you probably found that guy. <laughs> I didn't see the dentist, but I saw the Long Beach Homebrew Club. Actually, so, yeah, speaking of, so you said you are your president. How long have you been doing that, and how's how's that going? I've been in the club for a good decade plus, uh, and I've been on the board for a while. For a while, it's just webmaster putting together the website, just helping out. And then um, I t took over as president when Ray stepped down three years ago, four years ago, um, and it was really good because I, I uh, yeah, I, I really wasn't someone who wanted to do that sort of thing. I'm, I'm not a really a big public speaker. This, this is a little nerve wracking for me. Uh, even doing the podcast with you folks as nice as you are. Um, but, uh, uh, it's really been, it's really been great. And, um, it, it was at the right time because being a tech guy, um, when the whole COVID thing went down, I just fired up zoom. I fired up events. I, you know, having a closed front porch, I put a fridge out there as a trade fridge. Our homebrewers were trading beers with each other. We were, uh, just engaged and our event coordinator uh, coordinated with uh, breweries every month. And so we had these, these events where the, the brewers would get on with us. We'd all go buy their beer, get together and they'd talk about the beers they were tasting. It was just, just, I got to do all these great online things. And, um, and there was a number of things we wanted to do where we wanted to bring more education to the club for a lot of years. It was just hard to figure out how to do it. And when you had Zoom meetings, you didn't just share beer, fill your entire meeting with sharing beer. You had to have other content. So I would put together these Google slide presentations about various things, whether it was Kolsch or, or barrels or how brewery pumps work, anything that people wanted to know about uh, for a monthly topic. Um, it was great to get that educational content and the membership really loved it. And so we're still doing that. I, I bought a screen and a projector. Now we go into the meetings. We still broadcast Zoom for people who aren't comfortable coming in or someone who might be ill. And we get people from out of town who were in the club five years ago who had to leave town but wanted to jump back in. They'll pop in. It's a lot of fun. And so we get a lot more engagement with people even when they can't make it to the meetings. So it's been fun. Love that. Uh, we, touched on it, we touched on it earlier and we can we can see it, but can you walk us through your homebrew setup? 
Oh, my homebrew setup is in flux right now. I used to brew um, in the garage, or not in the garage, I'm brewing now in the garage. Uh, but I used to brew in outdoors with a natural gas setup. But I, I went electric uh, recently, and I realized, well, if I'm not worrying about the fumes from the, the burners, then why am I standing outside? I might as well move inside. So I took part of the garage, and I put in, you can't really see some of it through the sink, uh, through the fridges, but there's a sink back there, uh, dual stainless steel sink, which is great for cleaning and, and working through things. Uh, back there, you see a 30-gallon brew kettle, a 25-gallon mash tun, and there's another 25-gallon hot liquor tank you can't see behind the other fridge. Uh, you probably see the RO unit there. Um, but it's really it's really great, and uh, the, I'm just working through through the challenges of it because it's only I've only brewed a couple times in here now, and so a lot of the challenges are cleaning, where I'm just used to dumping things out, not caring where it went. Well, now I'm in a garage, and so I'm mm -hmm. trying to learn some of the clean-to-place things, which is sort of a challenge with the center grain. Um, I did just order, uh, pre-order, I should say, a spike centered grain um, mash tun, a 30-gallon guy, and I'm super excited to get that in here. Where Those are super yeah. cool. Like you said, the, the center drain ones were, yeah, those are sick. I have a couple friends who we've been talking about it, and we're just like, man, like, why did it take so long for them to make a homebrew kettle with a center drain? It's, right. it's really smart. It's awesome. Yeah, I want the kettle as well, but I have to, because of the, they build all their stuff to brew from right to left and I brew left to right and that's where my sink is. So it, I need to, to move some ports. So I have to wait till it's on their custom page, but I'm going to do the, the kettle to go with the mash tun and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Looking that's, forward to it. That spike kettle is huge. Like how, <laughs> how many gallons is that thing? It's 30. It's not, it's not that bad. That's big. That's big. That's, that's a good barrel sized. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Cool. sometimes you make 20 gallons of beer. It happens. So if you're making <laughs> lagers, the people want to know, how are you fermenting them at home? I am fermenting them in these refrigerators using mm -hmm. Inkbird controllers. Um, they're inexpensive. Uh, they're Wi-Fi enabled. So I can be at the office, uh, you know, uh, 20 miles from home and check the temp, change the temp, tweak things as I wish. Um, and uh, I've been, as you were talking about earlier, I've been pressure fermenting lately, uh, which I find is awesome. Um, it really produces an even cleaner lager than before, but I still get that lager character I expect to get out of the beer. And uh, it's, it's nice to have it. It's basically carbonated. I mean, you, you bracket the keg completely oxygen-free, and it's ready to rock. You can just put it in the kegerator and drink it, right? I mean, it's... <laughs> I need to. Yeah. I keep telling you, Laura, you do, but you do. About it when we're drinking, and it's like I don't remember my the great ideas. Uh, yeah, Laura. doesn't have like t she has like a glycol temperature controlled. Uh, yeah. Conical, nice. but it's not. It's the grandfather one, so it's not pressurated firm. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the next thing for me is I want to get a unit tank, uh, a couple of those. I want to keep one fridge in here. I don't need to. I want to get a couple of unit tanks that can pressurize and uh, hook up to glycol. That new, um, I saw Brewbilt came out there, X2, I think it is, which is a jacketed fermenter. Those, those look awesome. I feel like Maybe. me and you are on the same page, like the equipment, like, <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> seriously, I, I have the, the Brewbilt, the X1, 
And, oh, nice. Uh, it's nice, but yeah, the, controlling the temperature on that thing isn't fun. But I, that's what I did the pressure fermentation on, and it was it was easy. So was what cool. I'm using for pressure fermentation right now is I have a Kegland keg mentor, a 15 gallon one of those, which is basically like a keg with a four inch tri clamp port that has the 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 floating dip tube and the gas you know, disconnects. Nice. And then you see my smaller batch one there is a 10 gallon, um, just a 10 gallon keg. And I've got the um, floating dip tube uh, keg lid. So, um, and then I'm just using spunding valves and letting pressure, just setting the pressure where I want it and letting it do its thing. So it's Very a cool. cheap way to do those things. If you got a keg sitting around, hook up a spunding valve, just one of those keg land guys. I've one sitting out here, um, readily available. Uh, but they're in <laughs> a little red thing. Yeah, you know. What I'm <laughs> yeah, about. I would do this. Maybe I could do this in like January or February out in the garage or something. That's easy. You could do it in a keg, Laura. You have a bunch yeah, of kegs. Like... Literally, ten gallon keg. But temperature's not an issue if you're doing it under pressure, right? I still think temperature's an issue. Uh, okay. You, you can get away with higher temperature, but. And it's not like using Kvike. You're not going to want to ferment at 90. But it's a shorter <laughs> period of time. So let's say I did it and I like lined it up with a cooler period of time. I could just leave it. Okay. Anyway, good talks, guys. <laughs> so John, um, clearly you have a German background, like literally within your, your bloodline, etc. Is that what kind of inspired you to do a little bit more? in terms of, um, you know, learning about it, tradition, brewing German styles, all that fun stuff? You know, funnily, uh, comically enough, no. Um, I, I was really, I got into home brewing at the time. I was drinking a lot of Newcastle, uh, Guinness. I liked a lot of English beers, dark beers, roasted beers. Um, that was really kind of my jam. And then uh, when I got married, uh, 13, 14 years ago, I just started home brewing and we went, uh, we took our honeymoon and we drove through Italy and, and Germany uh, for a couple of weeks. And I wanted to go to Germany for history of my grandmother, wants to do the town she grew up in, that kind of thing. We did all that. It was awesome. But while doing that, every town in Germany, as you, as you well know, I'm sure, they've got their, their beer, right? You go into Cologne, you're going to have Kolsch. You, you, they've got other beer there if you seek it out. But honestly, you go into a place, you're going to get Kolsch, right? Uh, you, you, it's kind of how that goes. And so they all have their own beer culture. And I thought that was so awesome. And I had those beers and there was so much more flavor to a Pilsner, to a Kolsch, all these light beers that I used to you know, just kind of snub my nose up at because I really didn't like lighter beers. I didn't like Budweiser. I didn't like the, these, uh, the light beers we're used to here in America. I was like, holy crap, I can have light beer with good flavor. What the fuck am I doing? And so I started brewing them and seeking them out, and I became a big fan. And one of the things I love about German beers and German lagers is it's it's not about sitting down uh, and 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 just geeking out on a beer. It's really about drinking it by the liter, enjoying beer with your friends, sharing the time, sharing the the atmosphere, and having a good time. And so um, that's a lot of what I liked about English beers when I worked in England. It was just you went to the pub and you had beer. And um, as much as I like to geek out about beer, sometimes you just want to have a beer with friends, and that's all you want to do. But you still want it to taste good. You don't want to sit there pounding Bud Lights and wondering why you just have glasses of water. Yeah. You know? 
That's cool. It's like you don't want to always sit and like analyze beer. You just want to like have one and chill. So. Yeah. I'm a certified beer judge. I enjoy analyzing beer. I really do. But sometimes you just want to chill and have a beer with a friend. <laughs> Absolutely. Beauty of German beer. It's made to do that. Most of exactly. it is made to drink a lot of and relax. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what got me into it really was my honeymoon and just seeing the German beer culture and, and just really enjoying what it was all about. And uh, so I came back and started endeavoring to make more of it. I love that. Um, in learning about lager, I think like most homebrewers, we kind of go through like the historical process and now in 2022 we've got what we got so what would you say like do you integrate any of those practices into your brewing or are you keeping them in, in mind or it sounds like your approach is really kind of rooted in a little bit in tradition but now you utilize innovation it's, it's always been both um it's just what's going to make the best beer is what uh is what my practice is, is uh, motivated by. If I try, I'll try anything new, and if I'm not happy with it, I back out. Um, I spent a few months trying Kvike in a lot of beers and finding I didn't like Kvike in a lot of beers. Kvike is great if you're a brewery and you need to turn beer around quick, but it didn't make the best version of any style I made it with. Um, I found that I liked another, uh, another yeast uh, better with that beer. That's not a knock. It's just... It is what it is. I think that beer, I'm waiting for the new beer style or something that will come out with Kvike where it'll be like, yeah, that's a thing for Kvike. Instead of just trying oh, to shove into every beer style that is already there that another yeast does better. You know, yeah, I Kvike. have to agree with you on that. Uh, Kvike is interesting because, like, it is one that people are making, like, pseudo lagers, et cetera, or whatever, but it really is like a farmhouse ale strain. So it's, I feel like there's always going to be something a little farmhousey about it. I don't know. I haven't used it enough to know, but yeah, I'm not crazy I about it. Farmhousey enough to replace the Belgian strains. And that was the thing. I was like, it's not really farmhouse. You have to be farmhousey. And it's not really, it was just sort Clean of enough. A, it was a thing that was a, like, to me, it was a novelty that I could, ferment hot and fast and not have a bunch of fusel alcohols and off flavors. And that was cool, but you know, <laughs> kind of like the antithesis of homebrewing though. It's like, you can't just like the one shortcut cannot be yeast, get real. And also like most things, just because you can, doesn't mean you should definitely has that twang. But to your point, like we were asking you about your Marzen and we're like, you know, you were saying it. You didn't lager it. You did it under pressure. It still tastes oh, no, really I good. It. I lagered <laughs> oh, it under did. pressure. Oh yeah, I fermented oh, I it at fifty degrees. I don't use the pressure fermentation for um, to ferment it warm. Oh. I've just found that it. So wait, how cleaner. long? How long did you have it in a fermentation in the fermenter or under those conditions? Three or four weeks. Okay, so then under pressure, it almost would be like. It's the same. I mean, it probably was done earlier, but I didn't really care. Um, I could probably, I'd have to pull up logs to see. But again, I, I brew once a month, so I throw something in a fermenter and I'll let it go a month. I'm not really worried about it. Um, 
unless I see it's not done. I'll check the tilt log, and if I didn't see a flat line for three or four or five days, then I'm like, well, it's still working. I'm going to let it work a little longer. Um, but otherwise, I'm not worried if it sits in there for a week or two when it's fully done. Even for ales, if it's done in a week, I don't care if it sits there for three or four. Um, I just make it part of my brew day process to empty my fermenter into keg and refill that fermenter. Clean it, sanitize it, you know, the whole bit. But, uh, yeah. He's a patient homebrewer, you guys. Patience is key. I try to tell everyone, I'm like, you know, it's it's not, it's it, it almost is always worth waiting another week or two to let a beer kind of like finish up. Do what it needs to do. It'll taste better, promise. <laughs> clean up diacetyl, clean up DMS, all kinds of magical things if you let it go. When it comes to German beer styles, are you, it sounds like you're more, on the lager side, but are there some ales that you've dived into? Wheat, sour, Kolsch, alt beer, stuff like that? Yeah. No, I, I like a good alt. I, I love a good Kolsch. Kolsch is probably my favorite German style, honestly. Uh, I fell in love with it when, when I was in Cologne. So um, that that's the, you know, that, that's the one I, I, uh, I gravitate towards, you know, pretty regularly. Um, and you brew, you brew that one a lot? I tend to brew that one a fair amount as well. Yeah. Uh, it just doesn't fit in my normal lager, you know, three or four year thing where I reuse the yeast. It's a separate deal, separate yeast. It's that hybrid yeast, right? Where it's an ale yeast that you ferment at lager temperatures. So um, that's a separate batch that I do. Um, but yeah, I love it. I, I love uh, a good Kolsch. Um, Goza, like a good Goza um, or Goz. I, mean, I forget how that's pronounced anymore because I keep hearing it both ways. We go uh, both ways around here. There you go. Uh, uh, what's the other sour tart one? The the oh the Berliner Weiss. Berliner Weiss. Thank you. The the champagne of Germany. Yeah, as uh, Napoleon put it, I love Berliner Weiss. Um, and and I've actually kind of I've started shortcutting that one because I found I could make a really good Berliner Weiss using Philly sour from Lalleman. Uh, it's actually a lactic acid producing yeast. It looks like you know what I'm talking about, already, so I'll shut up about it. But I found that, that, that I controversial yeast. Yeah, I did a whole talk about it at the club, and uh, I've had a couple people make beers, and they're they're thrilled with it too. It's just a clean, solid lactic flavor. It's it's if you're trying to make something really funky and barnyardy, it is not your jam. But uh, if you're trying to make something with just that tart character, like a good clean Berliner Weiss, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, and I still I have on my agenda to make a, a Saison with it because I think a Saison with that tar character would be awesome, but I just mm -hmm. haven't done it. It's on my it's on my my roadmap. <laughs> That's really cool. Okay, so you've delved into the the, the sour ones, Berliner Weiss, no boil. I've no boil. done it all. Um, I prefer when before I did the Philly sour. What I preferred to do was honestly do a quick 10, 15 minute boil and then pitch a, a lactic culture. I, I wasn't a big fan of the throwing a handful of grain. I tried all those things, and they got a little too funky, a little too weird for me. Um, for for what the style is, I I, I just didn't uh, I didn't appreciate how they came out. Uh, or I shouldn't say that because there were a couple that came out well, but it was sort of too much of a mixed bag. Uh, maybe it's the German in me. I wanted precision. Uh, I was like, damn it, I want that was good. I want to make it that way again, and I and I tried again the same exact way, and it would come out different and weird. And I was like, ah, I don't know if I if I dig this process as much as I did just using like a, a cultured lactic. Uh, uh, um, How long do yeah. you leave the Philly sour? 
Oh, until it's done fermenting. Just 14 days it with produces the produces lactic acid uh, while it's fermenting. It'll, because it, as opposed to when you use, you have to use a lactobacillus for a normal one. Like when I would make one prior to making it with Philly Sour, um, I would ferment the word boiler for like 10 minutes, rack mm. it into a fermenter, keep it like 90 degrees, pack, pack uh, a lactobacillus into it or pitch lactobacillus into it, and then let it sit for two, three days until, you know, I felt the pH drop where it needed to drop. And then I would pitch in like an alt yeast or a cold yeast or something to finish it out. And it would come out great. Um, the Philly sour just makes that easier because the, while fermenting, it's producing lactic acid yeah. and so it comes out tart and fully fermented. And so it's kind mm. of a no brainer, quick and easy, um, um, Berliner Weiss. Some people would say it's a little too clean. And so that would be the knock on that. If you wanted mm. your, your Berliner Weiss to be a little funkier, that's not your, it's not going to be your path to success. Uh, you probably want to go that other route where you pitch your own lactic acid or, or lact, not lactic acid, sorry, lactobacillus, or um, or even more so pitching. Uh, you know, people. I think I think people use yogurt cultures and stuff, but most of the time when I tried it, it was just pitching a handful of yeast because you have some lactic lactobacillus living on the uh, the grain already. So um, those are your options, I guess. And then I've yeah. also made wheat beers. You know, um, hefeweizen, dokeweizen. Um, I've done all, you know, Weizenbach. I've made all of those, and they're fun. Um, I'm not a big fan of that banana character, so I've made them to make them, and they're fun to do, and I've submitted them to competitions and won awards, but I don't make them a lot just because I have to really want to have to do that to have five gallons of it or ten gallons of it. Yeah, I was going to say I'm I'm on the same too much banana-y. It's, it's weird because I was having a conversation with someone yesterday about the same – Thing. it's like you the the gateway beer drug to to craft beer is always wheat beer half wit beer or whatever but then once you've like i don't know once you've discovered other things it kind of like takes a back seat i suppose that banana character is too much for me i can't even drink it anymore it's weird yeah what i've noticed for a lot of people that that gateway wheat beer is usually a belgian wit or like an american half like a widmer and so they're not dealing with that clover banana character. They're dealing with a much cleaner um, wheat profile or a spiced wheat file in the, in the case of wit, right, where people are adding in yeah. coriander. Yeah, five gallons of Hefeweizen sounds not good. <laughs> the, the brewery workout, they, they make really good half, but I can only have like half a pint of yeah. G to G. Some people make it and I do like the dark version. Um, that kind of works out nice, almost like a banana bread kind of thing, right? Because you get some of that, that toasted character to go with the banana, and it's, 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 it's all right. But that's in every few years I make one kind of thing. <laughs> that's cool. So you've really, like, delved into, I mean, that's why we have you on, but, like, you're, you're proving to us that you've really delved into, like, so many of these styles. Um, oh, and... You said something about competition. So, yeah, I've won a lot. Tom, of I was gonna say when Tom said your name, I was like, I know that name. How do I know that name? Because you're always winning all the awards from the, all the homebrew comps that I ever look at. Um, so, how many? I mean, how many awards do you have now? Tom sent me a video, like full disclosure of all your. <laughs> I don't. I don't honestly know anymore. Um, my, my wife liked to display them around the den, so I had them up there for a while, and then. Um, I, I, 
had to take down all the third place ones to make room to I don't know it's a, it's a thing but um it was fun uh I think that is German wise the one I'm most proud of is um a Doppelbach at uh, there used to be a fest of ales in, in Orange County and um uh, Doppelbach won the uh, best of show there so we brewed it at Anaheim Bre at Anaheim Brewery and uh that got distribution around so that was kind of fun to go into a restaurant and see my beer on tap you know so it was kind nice yeah i love that so have you hit up any Oktoberfests this year i have not i was i thought about last weekend but i was actually working on the garage in here so i've been insulating it and installing an ac unit and just trying to make this a more fun place to brew and work because um, that's why i'm in here now is that i have my desk and my monitor and um I work from home a few days a week now, and so I figured I should make an office area for me to work. And my wife's a teacher, and I have a you know twelve year old daughter, so they're off on the, the holiday breaks. They're off for the summer, and so being able to come out here and work and not be in their way, where oh you can't watch TV, I have meetings and that kind of thing, gets kind of I'm sure that's frustrating for them. So I'm like, let me just set myself up outside, brewery, office kind of space. That's cool. Work so, and play. <laughs> So it sounds like you, um, for the most part, you respect the traditional processes of, you know, Germany. However, you're more so about what's the, what's going to make the best final product, like in terms of like what your preferred, I guess, processes are with that, is that accurate? That is accurate. It is absolutely. How do I make the best version of this beer? Um, and that's really what it comes down to. I don't, I don't, it doesn't need to be a, um, historical process to get there as long as it's the thing that gets there and makes the best version of that beer. Uh, I think innovation is always awesome in everything. Uh, but there's a historical thing you have to look at too and just see like, Hey, this is what this beer is supposed to be. And if, if using this cool new process doesn't get us there, then this cool new process isn't great for this much like you just found out with your coffee porter. Right. Um, and I found that too. I agree with, with some of the styles that have more ester production and, and, uh, uh you know, need some of that pressure fermentation isn't as good for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I still do it right now. Uh, but what I've been doing is just dialing back. So instead of fermenting at 10 PSI or 12 PSI, I'll ferment at like two PSI. I've just found that um, I just like having some of that, just knowing that there's no oxygen in there because sometimes your airlock doesn't quite fit right, et cetera. And uh, it yeah. sounds like you have a you have a conical, so you're probably blowing off to a bucket and you can tell it's completely you know in good shape, but I don't. So uh, you know I, I'm still concerned about that. So the pressure just it's nice to see the gauge and know that hey, it's absolutely under positive pressure. Uh, so I, I still kind of like that right now. So but, let's move uh, on to lagers. Hot take, decoction, no decoction. Where are your thoughts on the decoction? That is a controversial topic, but I'm going to say no decoction. I don't do it. Yay! I use a small amount of melanoid and malt if I want a little bit of that character in my beer, and I have not found a difference. That's that's cool because I mean I I think it's one of those things I'm gonna do just to just to try it out just to do it, but um, I usually just same with my Marsden just throwing a little melanoid in and 
I know, but I've never done a decocted lager, so I don't know what the comparison, but it sounds like you've done that experiment, so that's cool. I tried it once. It took a lot of years for me to try it, but I finally did try it, and I was like, that was a lot of work for nothing. <laughs> and that's one of those cases where when you look at the historical process, I'm like, that doesn't really get me to the best beer. It just made more work. <laughs> It's a process that made a lot of sense when you had a lot of underdeveloped malts, right? But yes, our, our malts are so well converted now. It's, you know, it doesn't really provide anything to you anymore. In my opinion, again, you're probably going to, you know, your pop out podcast are probably going to get a lot of uh, comments on it now that John guys is going to get decoctions absolutely necessary. Oh, you're going to be canceled for sure. <laughs> but, you know, you asked. Okay, now let's get into the real dirt here. Who, where in LA? What kind of German beers are you drinking? Like, where's your favorite? Who makes the best Marzen besides you? Fest beer, etc. Emigrant. Okay. Very good. We uh, agree. That's a good. That's a good answer. Yeah, I have a question for you about home brewing because you. It sounds like you've been at it. You're deep in the game. I don't think you have you mentioned the years you said was on your honeymoon. I'm trying exactly to do the math. You had a 12 year old daughter, blah, a little over a decade. I was, brewing before, I was brewing before she was born. So, yeah, probably okay. close to 15 years. Oh, no, I've been, I brewed before I started this job and I've been here 16 years now. So, about 17 years. Damn. Almost two decades. Fuck, I'm I old. love this. <laughs> <laughs> he said, damn, fuck, I'm old. You're fine. Yeah, you said it was okay, right? <laughs> um, first of all, do you have like a hit list? Have you brewed all the styles in the BJCP? I believe so. Whoa. In fact, that's what brewed liked beer. Was like I was looking through the guidelines, just like, what have I not brewed before? I'm like, what the fuck is this like beer? Like, that sounds interesting. And I brewed I'm like, I like this. And I was like, hey, this will work. This is my first lager. Of, like yeah. But yeah, I think I've just done everything. I've done Rausch beer. I've done. So you believe you're making the statement. You believe. You know what I think I've missed? I no, I guarantee you I've missed some because I'm not a big fan of IPAs. There's your controversial hot take. I don't like IPAs. Long Beach home brewer not brewing IPAs. (laughs) Clearly, John doesn't listen to our podcast, or else he would know that we are. I'm not huge IPA people. <laughs> Fair enough. But I'm used to just getting the, you know, everyone like, what do you mean? What's wrong with you? Um, so I've brewed a West Coast before. I've brewed a double before. I'm going to brew a triple shortly because we made that one of the styles of the month at our club this year. Uh, I've made a hazy. I've made some IPAs, but I know there's so many I haven't made. I've never made a Belgian IPA. I've never, all the, because IPA has like 52 friggin' sub styles now. Guarantee you I've not made a bunch of those. White, but, black, uh, red, uh, yellow, green. <laughs> Cold. <laughs> I was going overhaul something, right? So, um, so yeah, no, I've not made every style because of that. But if you take IPA out of the equation, um, I'm hard pressed to believe I haven't made one of them or the rest of them. I like Flanders that. Red, Brune, Lambic style, uh, Goose. Um. <laughs> Next question. I feel like I'm just mostly taking a homebrew survey. Are you brewing for yourself, your neighbors? Are you brewing like, do you have a bunch on tap? 
how are you getting to a place where you're consuming and brewing? Are you brewing small amounts? I'm trying to figure out the cycle here. Well, that's been the hard thing with COVID is um, mm -hmm. I used to have a couple of parties. Used to do an Oktoberfest every year. And, and so we're trying to figure out how we're going to get back into that now with the family, uh, working through that. Um, we had some other issues with that. And um, I have a kegerator in the den that's got uh, 14 taps, usually four. One is soda water, three are sodas for kids, and then the other 10 are all beer and cider. Um, and so those are always packed full of beers that I make, obviously. And then uh, a lot of that would disappear during parties. We'd have a party, and i just like to take them off as they blew, and that's how it went. But uh, during COVID, didn't go through as much beer as I did without having parties. So there was beer that after a while, it just kind of went past expiration. I just had to have a come to Jesus with a kegerator. And um, mm -hmm. I knew like five or six kegs where I'm like, this is not great anymore. It's it's past yeah. its time. And off to the garden it went, whatever was left in that keg. And I've got a handful of empty taps, which is kind of sad, but uh, it is what it is. I don't want to, I'm not going to drink crappy beer just because I made it. It's not no longer great beer. Um, but in general, it's usually that. Uh, my father-in-law, usually I make a little extra beer for him. He's got a little three-gallon kegerator at his house. And then uh, I have a neighbor uh, a couple doors down who actually eventually joined the club. And now he's brewing beer too. But for a while during COVID, I was like, hey, I've got extra beer. You want a keg of beer? I got this keg of beer I can't drink because I didn't have a party here. And so um, he, he was super excited about it. Now he's brewing as well. And he bought himself a Brazil unit and he'll come over most of the time and we'll brew together here in the, in the yard. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good time, but that's where most of my beer is, is pretty much going. Most of it's personal consumption, party consumption, taken to the club or home, mm -hmm. SoCal homebrew fest. I'll bring a few kegs there and pour them out, uh, at the club booth. Um, but that's, you know, that's kind of the deal. Competitions lately, I haven't entered as many just cause I've been busy with work and kind of lazy. Um, want to do inner competitions. I don't really brew for them. I just kind of look at what I have on tap. I'm like, these three are really good. I'll enter them in this competition. It's okay. <laughs> Let some other people win for once. No. <laughs> also, I honestly appreciate right that you, you don't have all your awards yeah. like up behind you. I think that's <laughs> very, very cool. Of you. Thank you. Sure. You but guys, so many, so yeah. accomplished. Um, so German lagers, what would you say is your favorite? There's so many dark, dark light, you know, higher ABV, lower. What would you say is your, your favorite one to, to brew and also to drink? There, it's okay. There are two different ones. You already said you love yeah. Kolsch, but we're talking about just German right. lagers. Exactly. Kolsch is not a lager. Mm -hmm. Um, that's tough. Um, one of my absolute favorites is the liked beer which I made just because it was in the style guideline. I'd never seen it, but it's a light lager with Pilsner uh, flavor profile. And um, it's like three, three and a half percent, three, three and a half, maybe four, depending on. What kind of, of hops you know, do you use on that thing? I typically use uh, middle fruit. Holler time middle fruit was one of my favorite hops. And so um, that's typically what I'll use. A lot of times for bittering, I'll throw Magnum in. And I like a first word hop addition of Magnum. Um, but in that beer, it's, it's again, so light, so, so small that I'll probably just go hollow tower all the way through. I'd pull up the recipe and see what I did last time. But, um, I just love that beer. It's, it's light, it's crisp, it's refreshing. And when the summer comes and it's hot outside, I can, like I said, I can drink four or five of them and you don't even notice. I'm going to come down to your garage and steal some from you. You're making it sound amazing. 
I I was gonna ask like if you have a recipe, would you be have like willing to share it with us and then yeah. we could brew it and yeah, but it's a stupidly it. simple recipe. It's uh, pretty much hundred percent Pilsner malt and throw some hollow tower into it. It just it, sounds so good. That's my key to German lagers. A good German lager does not have this is a this is a thing for um, home brewers in general because I went through the same phase in the beginning, right? It's like holy crap, I can put in 10 different grains and some spices and some fruit and, I don't know, some bacon, whatever the fuck I can find. I'm throwing all this in here, fuck yeah, and like eight different hops. I'm going to mix two different yeast strains and you make a bunch of muddy mess and then you eventually realize that you don't need all that shit and you're going to make a light beer, Pilsner malt, German Pilsner malt, and Holler Tower and either 3470 or I really like WLP90, the uh, Bakis for my lagers okay. if I want a liquid strain. Water, are you on top of that situation? I use water and I adjust my water based on what I'm doing there. Yeah. Cool. Now, when I didn't have an RO unit and I didn't build my own water up with my own gypsum and, and calcium chloride and stuff, what I did for a German Pilsner and Kolsch's uh, and won awards with it, so you don't have to do all this crazy shit, is literally 50-50 filtered water and uh, distilled water. Because really, okay. you're just trying to get to a Great. soft this is water. like a new revelation. Hmm? We're going we're gonna to go back over this real quick. So you're saying for German styles, for someone who doesn't want to mess with water chemistry, you're saying half RO water and half distilled water. Uh, no, because RO water is very, very similar to distilled water. Oh. What I'm saying was I, what, what I used to do when I made like dark German, uh, dark German, dark English beers, I, I could just use... Uh, RV water filter in my in my yard and uh, get filtered water that tasted good to drink, but it still had like too a, much a mineral. Brita filter or something? Sorry to interrupt. Like a Brita filter mm -hmm. or something? Oh, I don't okay. know about a Brita filter, but holy crap, you'd have to run a lot of water slowly through a Brita filter to, to get enough to brew. I've That'd done be that nightmare. before. It, I, <laughs> wow. That takes some patience. Um, because you can buy RO water. The problem with RO water is then you still have to add minerals back to it. So then you're back into that, hey, how much calcium chloride do I need? How much gypsum do I need? Okay. And, you know, that kind of thing. But if you just want to keep it simple and you don't want to do any of that, I find that just taking some good tasting filtered water, even either you filter your own like I did or, or you just buy like spring water from, you know, oh, Arrowhead okay. spring water, any kind of water that's still got minerals and content in it, and then go half and half with uh, distilled water. Or, or RO water in its place, it'll soften the water and give you that soft water profile you need for a good Kolsch or a good Pilsner. Because um, otherwise, what I ran into early on in my home brewing career was I would add enough hops where I thought it should be there and it was too bitter. I was like, what's going on here? And so then I would dial back on the hops and it was too, it, it didn't have the, the firm bitter character it should have. And it turned out that the water was just too hard. I'd either under hop it and underwhelm it or I'd over hop it and make it too, too harsh. You just had to soften that water. And once I softened that water, the skies opened up. Awesome Kolsch, awesome Pilsner. And a quick and dirty way to get there is half filtered water, half RO. And if you want to do it right, then, yeah, you get RO and you add in your calcium chloride and your, your gypsum to get to the, the place you want to be and your a little bit of lactic acid or phosphoric acid to, uh, for those light beers to, to get yourself in the, the pH range you want to be. That is an awesome tip. That's a cool, t I'm going to do that. Yeah, you should, Lori. Let's do it. Get I'm my brain. It works. 
telling you, I've got a number of uh, ribbons and medals that uh, that tested that before I went into RO water. It makes good makes good beer. Yeast wise, you've already kind of touched on it. Huge pitch. If you're going to be fermenting colds, um, like huge as in how 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 huge? How huge are you, are we talking here? Uh, boy, there's, there's different, there, there's yeast calculators out that will give you exactly what you need. But for me, I was usually uh, making like a gallon starter um, when I was using liquid yeast and putting in a couple of packets to get myself uh, into a, a, like a 10 gallon batch, two or three packets into yeah. a gallon starter. Um, for dry yeast, I find I can take that, I don't have to make the starter, I can just buy four or five packets to put into a 10 gallon batch, pitch it in there, and I'm good to go. Um, and that really was a was a side effect of COVID for me. I was I was never into dry yeast. I always thought I had to get the best yeast. It had to be liquid yeast. And uh, during COVID, it was just I, I couldn't get out to, to get a lot of things. We had some issues in, in my household that I had to be extra extra cautious from people around me and not be out uh, gallivanting around so I could make beer. Right. Uh, so to protect everyone, I had to to make a few runs and buy sacks of grain and buy a bunch of yeast I could have over time and so I, I started working with dry yeast and, and found 3470 the why that's the stain is a fantastic yeast strain um i think if i if i go side to side and i'm really honest i probably like the double p90 uh, bach just slightly better but not enough that i'm willing to put up with the hassle of the uh the whole giant starter thing the stir plate all that stuff to, to get where i start with to throw in 3470 which is a fantastic beer um but that, that's kind of you're looking at a pitching rate. And then from there on, I'm reusing that yeast. So like I said, I always start with a liked beer. So whatever I put in there creates this giant starter of healthy yeast. Because yeast loves, uh, I mean, you're fermenting in 1035. Um, right, easy to chew through, huh? Yeah, it, it's healthy, happy yeast. It'll chew through everything after that. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been dabbling in... Um dry yeast for lagers just because i'm also not a huge fan of the pain of the starter you know but recently i just got a five liter blast so now i have to play around (laughs) with it but yeah i was buying like three three dry packets a a five gallon batch and it it worked although dry yeast is getting a little bit more expensive these days it is it's like seven six seven dollars i'm like oh okay so yeah, it's not, so it's not the bargain before. Yeah, but okay, yeah. The S23 is a little more sulfurate, so if you want a little more sulfur character, then I think the S23 is your jam. But um... I've used S23 for a beer that I was obsessed with, and it was this American Bach. I don't know, it's a recipe I got from like a, a BYOB mag. It was one of those magazines. It came out fantastic. So I love S23, uh, 3470. I still need to play around a little bit more with, but okay, cool. And then any other tips you have for brewing German style, anything? I mean, you've been brewing for almost two decades. Made a pretty hot tip on us already. I don't want to. I know the water was, that was a good tip. Hope it helps. Um, no, really, it's, it's the same as brewing other beer at that point. It's just, you know, sanitation, cleanliness, you know, it's, it's all the same stuff after that, right? Um, 
just get your, you know, the water profile right, especially for those lighter German loggers. I feel it's really important they get a softer water profile. And if your water's too hard, you're not going to nail the uh, the proper bitterness. If you're just not, it's going to be it's going to be wrong. But um, other than that, it's the same. I do have I do I do have one more hot take question. First wort hops. I love first wort hops. It adds okay. a little more hop. It rounds out your hop bitterness. Um, I use it, uh, God, almost constantly. Uh, there's very few beer styles I don't put first word hops into. I love that. Cool. Lori? Well done. We've said it all. Let's review. Keep it simple. Do what works. Half and half. <laughs> and first wort hopping. You'll and Kolsch's life. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. The hard part with Kolsch is, is unless you make it or know someone who's made a good one, it does not travel well. Um, oh, you can mess up a Kolsch real quick. Actually, I wanted to ask you, what Kolsch yeast do you like to use? I just use the White Labs version. Um, okay. I forget, the, I forget the number, but that's that, that's the one I like. That goes back to keep it simple. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Like German ale or something. I've never made a Kolsch. I've always wanted to. I just haven't gotten around to it. So, But now I know what you used to use. So thank you. <laughs> Wait, what temperature? What temperature? I ferment mine at 50. It's, it's pretty much lager temp. 50? Holy crap. Okay. I was thinking like 60, but all right. Some people do. I'm a fan of colds because I have I can do it. So I'm like I like I like to ferment cold if I can. I was doing some research on uh, fru, um, fru or fra, I forget how you pronounce that. Uh, uh, one of my favorite colches in Germany and uh, or in Cologne, and uh, the brewmaster said they fermented between forty-five and fifty. He gave it in Celsius. And I converted it, but. It was in that temp range, so I tried them. Like, yeah, okay, this is good. I, I, I like this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep brewing at this temp range. That is the one that I've had, like, large scale, and it's it's good. So, okay. And it's it's better if you if you brew it, or if you get it there, because it it doesn't travel well. I'm always kind of disappointed when I get it here. Total wine, <laughs> hot hot on the shelf, all good. Yeah. Best I've had it as far as from like total wine is when they sell those little mini kegs. I'll get a little mini keg of that. It's better than an out of the bottle. Um, I've had it on keg in restaurants before, and it's been pretty good. I think it, I think if you can get it traveling in bulk, it's pretty good. But when they package it in bottles and it travels, I don't think it comes across the Atlantic very well. <laughs> Definitely not to the West Coast. Well, thank you for joining us and giving us like all these nuggets. It's really great to hear from someone of your, ex your experience and your dedication to the hobby. And before we go, will you just tell us like, what are you probably gonna brew next on your little um, scheduled brew day? Oh, I think it's gonna be a molasses porter actually, because after the short spear, German Perfect. lagers are done on a molasses porter, which I call angry ass. I might email you about the short spear after this, but anyway. Continue. <laughs> um, all right, John. Well, thank you so much. And was there anything you wanted to plug? I mean, Long Beach no, Harbor Club, amazing people. We know a lot of people from there. They're great. 
uh, super talented people. And yeah, German beer is life. Go grab some lagers, some hefts, yeah. some Berliners, some Gozas. And yeah, you said what? And grab a spunding valve and live John. Yes. <laughs> grab a spunding valve, do some pressure fermentation. Well, the bonus of the pressure fermentation, like I said, it, I don't know if it if for German lagers, it, it makes, it, I don't necessarily know what makes better beer, especially when you're fermenting cooler temps like I am. But when I'm done with it, I rack it to keg and it's, it's ready to drink. I'm not screwing it's around. It makes him happy. That's what, we, that's what we're going for. You know, so. <laughs> Very All right, guys, cool. we'll, we'll see you next two weeks yeah we'll see you in a couple weeks with another awesome guest and yeah thanks for listening peace out bye thanks for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show make sure to follow us on instagram at brewed up podcast and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode Want more Brewed Up? Check out our Patreon page. For a few bucks a month, patrons have access to video recordings of our episodes, exclusive recipes, and all sorts of bonus content. Brewed Up is pleased to have the support of the American Home Brewers Association. Consider joining and get access to hundreds of solid homebrew recipes, techniques, community, and of course, random pictures of us brewing. The Brewed Up music is produced by LA legend producer Elusive.